Welcome back to the Manly Saints Project. I'm me, Hugh Hunter. We live in a world that struggles to understand the virtues of manliness. Our culture doesn't provide young men, or any men for that matter, with a lot of positive male role models. When I became a Catholic, I wanted to show how the saints could be manly role models for us. My weekly exploration of manly saints became the Manly Saints Project. If you enjoy my work, please consider signing up and supporting me on Substack, or click the links in the show notes to buy me a beer. Now, let's meet this week's Manly Saint. Join me today to meet a martyr who defied the KGB. Name, Prince Vladimir Gika sometimes spelled with a C and sometimes with a K. Life, 1873 to 1954. Status, blessed. Feast, May 16th. The year was 1957, and there were still a few hours until dawn. The Romanian political prisoner was waiting for the morning. Prisoners at this prison were put to work, and the day before, a sheet of metal had fallen and crushed one of his hands. The doctor had taken one look and made his diagnosis. The hand would need to be amputated. But the man was only a prisoner, so the doctor was not going to amputate outside of business hours. The man had been sent back to prison for the night to endure the pain of his hand until morning. And as he waited, he suddenly had the impression that he was not alone. He looked over and saw a man he had known before they were both arrested by the communists. He was a small man, with a mane of white hair and a long beard. It was Monsignor Vladimir Gika. And that was a little bit surprising, since Vladimir Gika had been martyred three years earlier. The international adventure that was the life of Vladimir Gika had begun when he was born on Christmas Day, 1873, in Constantinople, modern Istanbul, in Turkey. Vladimir Gika was a prince, although his family no longer actually ruled anything. His grandfather had been the last prince of Moldavia, ruling the region of the east of modern Romania modern Moldova, and some parts of modern Ukraine. The people who had come together in the new nation of Romania had long been ruled by the Ottoman Turks. In 1877, Vladimir's father had fought the Turks and helped the country of Romania to win national independence, then taking on important posts in the grateful nation. Meanwhile, Vladimir and his siblings were educated as befitted princes, which is to say, they received an international education. Vladimir's mother took her children to Paris. In Paris, Vladimir's personality began to develop. He wasn't a very large man. He wasn't very healthy. He would struggle with various health problems his whole life, including brutal migraines that often kept him from sleeping at all through the night. But these problems did not slow him down. 
Vladimir was a man of tremendous energy, and he showed it in his studies, easily absorbing languages and history, and developing a talent for drawing. He also began to grow more and more interested in questions of faith. Vladimir's family was orthodox, yet the more he thought and read, the more Vladimir felt drawn to Catholicism. He didn't feel he was giving up the tradition in which he had been raised, so much as he was bringing it to its final conclusion. Now, since the Gikas were princes, their status gave them access to power. Vladimir's brother entered the diplomatic service. Vladimir was less sure about his own destiny. He knew he wanted it to include the church. He went to Rome to study philosophy and theology, graduating with a doctorate in theology. But when he looked into becoming a priest, he was turned away. If he was going to be a layman, Gika could still devote himself to charitable works. He organized and built a hospital staffed by nuns in Bucharest. It turned out that he had built it just in time for the Balkan Wars that preceded World War I. Gika went to work in the hospital that he had built, working with such a ferocious focus that the king of Romania recognized his efforts with a military decoration. During the First World War, Gika worked as a diplomat. He found that the role suited him. He spoke many languages, and as a prince, he could move effortlessly in the most elite circles. After the war, he became Romania's envoy to the Vatican. But Vladimir Gika still felt drawn to the priesthood. He was now 50 years old, and at 50, he finally became a priest. That was when his life became much more complicated. Father Gika was an unusual priest because he so well understood the Orthodox world. He was given the faculties to celebrate both the Latin Rite and also the Byzantine Rite, making him a sort of ambassador to the East. But the Church soon realized the potential of Father Gika. As an aristocrat, he was used to command. Gika had proven that he could build complex things, like his hospital. He picked up languages easily, and he had a diplomat's ability to work with difficult people. The church put him to work. Father Gika was sent to Paris to build up a parish church. The Carmelites needed help setting up in Japan, and he went to work with them there. In his off hours, he befriended the intellectuals of Paris, including Jacques Maritain, who reintroduced the world to the philosophy of St. Thomas Aquinas in his Neo-Thomism. Gika liked to meet the Maritains when he could, but he was so often on the move. He would be sent to help in Buenos Aires and Manila. He traveled to China, Australia, and the Congo. Father Vladimir Gika was not looking for any promotions. But the Pope was taking note. Much to Gika's distress, the Pope appointed him as Apostolic Protonotary, so that he was now Monsignor Gika. It was during these years of work that reports of mysticism and miracles began to be associated with Father Gika. 
My favorite story is from one of his first trips to Japan, where he was invited to meet with the Emperor Hirohito. As the two men spoke, some impulse made the Emperor tell Gika about the thing that was weighing on him. He had no son, and he was wondering whether he would ever have one. Gika gravely told the Emperor that he would pray for him. And then, completely breaking protocol, Gika stepped toward the Emperor, drew the sign of the cross on his forehead, and blessed him. There was a shocked silence in the room, the only sound being the Imperial Guard drawing their katanas. But the Emperor raised his hand and calmed the situation. And as it happened, nine months later, the future Emperor Akihito was born. As the 1930s passed, the world prepared to go to war once again. When the Second World War broke out, Monsignor Gika returned to Romania. He felt he was needed there. After initial uncertainty, Romania decided to join the Axis powers, throwing everything they had at the Eastern Front in the hope of keeping the Communists at bay. It would not be enough. By 1944, Romania was facing the prospect of Soviet invasion. King Michael I desperately tried to switch sides, but it was too late, and the Soviets began a brutal occupation of Romania, assimilating the nation into the Soviet Union. Many of Romania's aristocrats fled the country. The worse things got, the more determined Monsignor Gica was to stay. He had been working in his hospital through the war. Now, it seemed to him that his people needed him more than ever. Soon after the war, there was a famine in Moldavia. What better place for Agika to be than among the people his family had ruled for so long? But the Iron Curtain was falling on Romania. Back in Paris, Gika's friends grew increasingly concerned. By 1947, the communists forced King Michael to abdicate. In 1948, the last group of aristocrats left the country. There was a place for Gika among them, but he decided to stay. Soon after, the communists took possession of the Gika family home where Monsignor Gika had been living. He found a room in the hospital that he had built. But the KGB's attention was now on the energetic old priest. They were actively watching him through 1952. The next year, a message came that a sick man had asked for Monsignor Gika to come and speak with him. The message was a KGB trick. As the old priest walked to the appointment, a dark van pulled up beside him, and he was bundled into it, taken away as a prisoner of the KGB. The KGB wanted Gika to sign a statement that said he was an agent of the Vatican. It wasn't true, and Gika refused. And so the KGB interrogated and tortured him to get the answer they wanted. Only a few years earlier, in England, George Orwell had grown disillusioned with the Soviet Union and had published his book about totalitarianism, 1984. In the story, 
the main character learns that every man has some deep and irrational fear. For the main character, it is a fear of rats. The main character is broken by his fear, and learns to love Big Brother. And Orwell's dark suggestion was that the totalitarian state could use the psychology of fear to break anyone, no matter how good or strong he might be. The KGB's investigation had found out Vladimir Gika's secret fear. Gika wasn't at all afraid of dying, but he was terrified of one particular way of dying. He had a deep, lifelong terror of being hanged. And so the KGB told Gika that if he did not sign the document, they would hang him. And when he refused, they set up a system that would allow them to hang him, making him feel as though he was choking until the last second when the pressure would let up. This was everything Gika had feared. But then, unlike Orwell's main character, who was alone, Gika did not face the KGB alone. Years before, he had written a little book of reflections about the Christian walk with Christ. One of them read, I'm confident in you, just not in me. My only way to be confident in myself is to be grounded enough in you. And so, despite his fears, Monsignor Vladimir Gika found the strength to refuse to sign the document. And so the interrogation went on. The KGB mock hanged him again and again and again. By the time they finally gave up, they had done it 83 times. Eventually, the KGB had tried everything, even sending an agent dressed as a priest to hear Gika's confession. But Gika had recognized that the man was an imposter. Gika wasn't going to confess, and so his case went before a Soviet court. The trial was a mockery of justice, and Gika's court-appointed lawyer only asked him one question. What are you accused of? But when the lawyer began speaking, Gika surprised everyone by standing up and roaring that the lawyer did not speak for him. He insisted on representing himself. Eventually, the court had to be adjourned. Of course, there was no question of the court finding him innocent, and the judge simply overruled Gika's attempt to represent himself. But that had never been his point. Gika had noticed that there were other priests awaiting trial. On the way out, he explained, I did this to teach you not to be afraid of them. Monsignor Vladimir Gika was found guilty. The punishment was three years hard labor. He was now 80 years old. He was sent to a prison in which the prisoners lived together in a dim underground holding room designed for 120 men, but housing 200. The room was damp, dark, and unsanitary. There was no heat in the winter. But we know a little bit about this period of Gika's life from a young man who met him soon after he arrived in prison. The young man asked whether there was news from outside, 
and when they would be free. Geeka gently told the young men to be patient. They would be free. In the young man's case, it was true in the sense that he would leave prison and eventually become a secret priest himself. But, as the young man later recalled, he had the uncanny sense in talking to Geeka that this man was free. He was perhaps the freest man the young man had ever met. Over the course of the next year, Monsignor Gika did what he could to cheer the other prisoners. He had traveled more than most. Now he would help prisoners pass the time by telling them about the Congo, about Japan, about China, about Australia. But the prison conditions were taking their toll on his health. Like many saints, he saw death coming. Years before, he had written a short reflection. The time we spend in prayer is borrowed eternity. In his last days, his only interest was prayer. After Vladimir Gika's death, the process to recognize his sanctity and his martyrdom began almost immediately. Many people who met him had felt they were speaking to a saint. Gika's friends in France started the process that would lead to official recognition in 2013. Meanwhile, in Romania, Vladimir Gika remained an inspiration, a ghost in the Soviet machine. And so it was that, three years after his martyrdom, blessed Vladimir Gika went to see the man with a crushed hand. The man said that Gika blessed him and then faded into the dark of the early morning. And when the man finally got to the hospital, and the doctor, who had diagnosed his crushed hand the day before, unwrapped the bandage, the doctor started to berate the guard for mixing up the prisoners. This obviously wasn't the same man the doctor had seen yesterday. This man's hand had no sign of injury at all. 